just wanted to mention some things uh, briefly about the biblical recorder, and then we're going to open God's Word. <clears throat> the biblical recorder has been around for a good while, and I am uh, honored to be the editor. It is your state paper. Uh, we exist to partner with you. Uh, you are at ground zero of what God's doing in the world, and that is at the local church level. <clears throat> Organizations like us are here to help you broaden your perspective of what God's doing. You know, you see what's going on right here and inside this fellowship. But there's a much, much bigger picture. God's at work in thousands of churches, uh, hundreds of thousands of churches all around the world. And we're trying to tell you uh, the story about that. Now, the biblical recorder has three elements of what our ministry is all about. And I want you to see that. On this next slide here, can we get that? There we go. Uh, the biblical recorder is the printed page that has been around since 1833. So it's it's been around longer than um, any of you in here have been around, obviously, and most of us added together still wouldn't make that. <clears throat> but it's it's been a vital source of communicating news and information. And uh, as Jared said your pastor said that uh, we want to glorify God and we want to keep the uh, keep our eye on the ball. And the ball is the Great Commission. We're here to glorify God. Now, that's the printed page. We hope you'll want to subscribe to that. As he mentioned, there's a little card in uh, the pew that you can take one of those and sign up for a free three-month trial. You're not obligated beyond that, but I hope you'll see enough in those three months to say, I'd like to get that regularly. And uh, it's it's not much each year at all. It's just only around $16 a year. <clears throat> It'll be a blessing to you because of the content in there that's encouraging and strengthening. The second part of our ministry is what's called BR Now. Uh, it's the Biblical Recorder website. <clears throat> On our website last month, we had 850,000 viewers. People from all over the world literally come to the Biblical Recorder website. It is one of the premier websites of all the state papers across uh, the country. And in fact, if you will go and, and Google search Baptist News, uh, you will see that we're one of the top that comes on that search. That means it's one of the most frequently hit websites. It changes every day except Sunday. Every day except some, Sunday, something new is, is added to that website. It's constantly changes, usually anywhere from four to six new items are posted every day, sometimes as many as 15 or 20. <clears throat> but there's a lot of information, a lot of encouraging material to help you keep up and, and just read great stories. It's not just news. Some of it's testimonies, stories of what God's doing in individual lives. And then, as your pastor said, the third element of what we do is a weekly email that's free. And if you'd like to receive that, it'll come to your web, uh, to your uh, <clears throat> your Outlook or whatever type of email um, uh, software that you have. It'll come to you on Wednesday morning at 6:30. <clears throat> you can get that, and it just has some brief uh, highlights of what's going on that week. Now, none of those three are duplicates. There is some duplicating information, but each one has uniqueness that's not in the other. So if you think you just see it all in one of them, you don't. Uh, there are things in the paper that never make it on the website, things on the website that you get in the paper, and the, 
Um, the e-news is sort of a summary of a lot of different things, but I hope you will want to subscribe to that and pick up a copy today. You'll see at the bottom um, of uh, the front page there's something about the Chick-fil-A uh, interview and how that, that created quite a storm. Of course, if you subscribe to the Biblical Recorder, you would have been the first in the nation to have read that story to begin with because it's right here on the back of the uh, July 7th issue. <clears throat> I did that interview that sparked that national storm. Whether you know it or not, uh, you can throw a rock or a tomato at me, or you can say thank you or whatever, but uh, I did the interview on Dan Cathy right in Cary uh, in uh, late June, and we sat down and talked about his organization and what God's doing and the principles they use and not one time, not one time, you're hearing straight from the source, not one time did he mention homosexual, gay, lesbian, or anything like that. I had, I, I've had, I've uh, been on the news a lot. I, in fact, I've done an interview in Boston radio, in Pittsburgh radio, in Indianapolis radio over the last week. I had a Washington, D.C. reporter call me this week and said, oh, I'm so glad to be able to talk to the man who did the initial interview that sparked all this controversy. So tell me, what did Dan Cathy say when you asked him his views on gay marriage? And I said, I never asked him that. It was real quiet on the other end of the phone. You didn't ask him that. I said, no, that was not part of our conversation. And she just said, well, then what's all this hubbub about? And I said, well... You tell me. I know what happened. It was republished in Baptist Press, which Baptist Press sometimes does that. They'll take stories that we uh, write. In fact, they do it very often, every month, things that we write as, as well as others, and they will push them out there. And I said, then a secular, uh, several secular media got it, and they changed Dan Cathy's words and made it look like he said something when he never brought that up. I have a 30-minute tape of the interview, and I've gone back over and listened to it this week just to be sure I wasn't losing my mind, just to be sure I did hear, because I, I taped the whole interview, and, and it was just all about what God's doing and how he and his organization glorifies God for God's faithfulness through the years. Uh, but... Um, I'm not here to tell about that story, but I'm just telling you, if you subscribe to the Biblical Recorder, you'd have seen it first there, okay? And uh, we live, just the whole thing tells you that we live in a world that needs this message that I'm about to bring to you from God's Word in just a moment. And I want you to hear this message because this is a word from God that is desperately needed right now at Green Pines, at every church across this country we need to hear this around the world. I want to talk to you today on the subject of the person that God blesses. And you can see the scripture reference if you'll take a copy of God's Word and turn uh, to the Hebrew hymnal. We're, we're reading from the hymnal today, not the one in your pew rack, the Hebrew hymnal. It, you, you realize that's what the Psalms are, don't you? They were not just for casual reading. They were not for poetry night. They were for singing in the congregation of the righteous. Some of those songs are pretty long, aren't they? Some of those psalms are 
just uh, several hundred, almost several hundred verses, 150 or so verses. And that could be long singing. But they were accustomed to doing that. And that's why the Psalms, when you read them, have sort of a, a poetic uh, cadence to them. And there's a sense of rhyme in the Hebrew to some of it that you don't get in the English when it's transferred and translated into our language. But these Psalms are beautiful, beautiful texts. And I want to read, and I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word, Psalm, the very first Psalm, easy to find, chapter 1, verse 1. Why don't you stand and we will read these first three verses and you follow along. I'm reading out of the New King James translation and uh, you may have another, but listen to what God's Word said. God's Word says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. This person, he, shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall be blessed or prosper. Father, this is your word that we're reading, and we honor you for giving us the gift of this scripture. May we never take lightly the fact that we hold in our hands a direct message from you, which we should obey with all diligence and be fully committed to your glory and your honor from the truth of this inerrant, inspired, infallible word that we hold today. Thank you for the privilege of reading and now for the privilege of listening and letting your Holy Spirit make that word alive in our daily living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. There are few sections of Scripture as beloved as the Psalms. One of the reasons we love the Psalms so much is because of the richness of their human experience. We, we feel the writer's pain or joy. And we experience that and we identify that. Sometimes in the Psalms, they hear the loud noise of the sounds of battle. And at other times, we read the Psalms, we're in the quiet of a peaceful valley, maybe in the inner sanctuary of worship. Some of the Psalms lift us up in our emotions into an ecstatic jubilation, a joy and a happiness that's beyond understandings, while others of the Psalms turn our emotions to tears and, and we're sorrowful and we weep. The Psalms literally touch every note on the keyboard of human experience. Everything about what we experience in life, you will find it somewhere in the Psalms. Maybe that's why we love them so much. They expose us to love and to hate, to joy and to sorrow, to hope and to fear, peace and war, fear and despair, faith and despair, I should say. Everything of the human emotion is captivated in the Psalms. That's why when you find yourself in a time of trouble, 
in a time of difficulty, if you're a wise person, if you're a person who hungers for knowing the truth, you will instinctively turn to the Psalms because you will know that in those Psalms you're going to find encouragement and comfort. That's what we love about the Psalms. Jonah himself, that prophet who was running from God, found himself in the belly of a giant fish. And he prayed a prayer to God. Have you ever noticed that the prayer that he prayed was almost entirely from the Psalms? When Jesus went to Golgotha, the strains of the Psalms were with him as he uh, felt the pain and the sorrow of that rejection and grief. But as he hung on Golgotha, almost everything he said in the last words of Christ are a direct quote of some psalm, most of them from one particular psalm. When it came time to preach at Pentecost, the psalms were used. All throughout the Scriptures, the psalms are the beloved text that the people of God have turned to, especially the Jewish people, but now those of us who are Christian who have followed Christ. Now, there's something unique about the first two psalms that I need to tell you before I get into the richness of this one, uh, well, the actually three verses of this first psalm. Let me tell you about the first two psalms. Every psalm has a human author attached to it. It will say, for example, a psalm of David. And it will tell you a person who is assigned to it. Some of the psalms are attributed to other writers. David, we think of for most of them. Except there are two psalms that no human author is attributed to those psalms. Psalm number one and psalm number two. They are given the name orphan psalms because they have no human author ascribed to them. Now that's very important because... Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are a summary of the entire Word of God. Psalm 1 focuses on the law. Psalm 2 focuses on the prophets and prophecy. And so here you have in the first two Psalms a summary of the entire Scripture, the law and the prophets. And if you study the Bible, you know we sort of categorize the Scripture as law, prophecy, and the writings. And the Psalms themselves are those writings for the most part. So you have a summary of all the Word of God in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And it's interesting that no human author is ascribed. Therefore, we can only assume that the only writer of these first two Psalms is the Holy Spirit Himself. No man can get credit. No human can say, well, I wrote that. God says, I want to tell you something very important up front. First off, right out of the gate from the first of the Psalms, God says, this is important. Listen to it. And he starts out with a very key word. <clears throat> I don't know what your translation is, but chances are every translation in this room starts out with the same word, blessed. Now, the word blessed is an important word. It's a very important word. However, I want to be very honest with you and tell you something about that word. That word does not have an English counterpart. It is a Hebrew word which we do not have an English counterpart for that Hebrew word. And that's why it's usually just translated blessed because that's the best we can do, but it's not the best the Hebrew can do. Let me tell you why. Because in the Hebrew, the word is plural. 
Think about that. Do we have a word? Blessednesses. Let's just make that up right now. That's what the opening word is. Blessednesses. Or you could put a word in front of blessed and say many blessings. Or much blessedness. But the word blessed alone is a nice word. It's a good word. But it doesn't carry the full impact of what the Hebrew word says when it says many blessings. Much blessings. Blessings beyond your comprehension. Beyond your understanding are available to you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see somebody say, you can win $5 million right now. I'll say, oh, really? How? I'll, I'll give it to you. Or somebody says, I've got this super thing for you. I'm going to give you a million-dollar home. Really? How? Well, we're tied to material things, but when God says, I have something better than a $5 million gift or a million-dollar home or the finest car, I have blessednesses for you. Do your ears perk up? Do you say, I want to know what God has to offer me. The the man, who is the person that God blesses? Who is this person that God says blessedness is for? By the way, I've been thinking about that word blessed. And I I think we do have another English word for it. Uh, You help me out a little bit. You go to McDonald's and you say, I want a burger and fries and a drink. Wait a minute. I want more than that. I want you to supersize it. There you go. There you go. That's what this means. I want to supersize the blessings of God. We live in a day of everything super. When I was growing up, we had heroes. Now we have superheroes. We had movie stars. Now they're superstars. There's no more models in the world. They're supermodels. And, and everything's super. Even the glue is super. I mean, everything's super. And, and there used to just be grocery stores. Now they're supermarkets. Everything's super. Well, you know, God's been in on superness for a long time. God's been saying, I have super blessednesses for all of my children who will just listen to what I have to say. So the psalm, the first psalm of this great book just hits right out of the gate and saying, listen to this super blessedness. I've got something awesome for you beyond your comprehension. And let me ask you, does the psalmist have your attention now when he says, Blessed beyond comprehension is this kind of person. All right, let's find out who gets to be blessed. You want to be blessed? You want super blessing? You want to supersize your spiritual life? Three things that these three verses point out. Number one, the godly man's path. Now, I I titled the message, The Person That God Blesses. But you'll understand that the person, it it uses the word man in here. And the word man is not just of a gender. I'm going to stick with that saying this is man or woman, obviously. It's a person. But he starts out talking about who this person is. But I want you to notice something about this verse. Look, Look at this first verse. Did you see what it says? The whole verse talks about the person who is not doing three things. We're going to cover those three things. But we live in a world where everybody says, 
Don't ever say no to your children. Be positive about everything. Don't say no. You know, why not? Maybe that's a problem we have in this world. Enough people aren't being told, no, don't do that. It's interesting to me that this first psalm says super blessednesses, awesome joy and blessing, and then he says, no, no, no. The person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The person who does not follow the course of the unrighteous. The person who does not, does not, does not. Look, look at what he says. It talks about the things he does not listen to, the places he does not go, uh, the books he does not read, the movies he does not watch, the company he does not keep. And let me tell you why that's important. Because happiness or blessednesses never grow in an atmosphere of poison. You want joy? You want blessedness? You want happiness? It is not found in the negative of poison in the world. And that's why you have to be told, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. Be separated. You see, we need happiness in our life. But we, we think happiness is, well, I got a raise, I'm happy. Um, the weather's fine, I'm happy. And, and we just look at happiness as circumstantial. But the psalmist is talking about a blessedness, a happiness that does not pen, depend on happenings. You know, we, our happiness sort of depends on if it happens to happen the way I want it to happen, then, you know, that's fine. But joy that he's talking about is happiness when your happenings don't happen to happen the way you happen to want your happenings to happen. If you don't mind, repeat that back to me right now. Did, did you get that? We're talking about a blessedness that is beyond circumstances. And he said there are three things we need to be sure that we are not. Number one is listening habits. What are your listening habits? Psalm 1, 1, the first part of that verse said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What is it talking about when it says counsel of the ungodly? The word counsel is what we call a lawyer. Might be an attorney in this congregation. I don't know, but if you're, you're an attorney, the judge... We'll say counsel or counselor. Do you have anything to, to add or to say? Counselor, what is your... And, and he's legal or he or she is legal counsel, right? Your doctor is a counselor. Your doctor, he or she, medical doctor, will say, yeah, I, I think you need to be doing this. You need to exercise more and you need to eat less. Those are the best things that doctors tell us all and we don't listen to, right? You need to exercise more and eat less. And you need to watch this. You need to watch. That's a doctor's best medical counsel advice. And there are others who are trying to advise us and counsel us. Sometimes they're politicians. Well, we need to do this, and I think we need to do that. But you know, the thing is, there's so many voices screaming at us in the world and telling us advice that anymore it's very, very important, very important that you be careful who you're listening to. The Bible says, blessed is the man or the woman who does not walk in the advice, the counsel of the ungodly. Now, it's not talking about just listening to that counsel, but it says walk in that counsel. That you listen and you take that bad advice and you go do it, you're not going to be blessed. 
What kind of bad advice are you listening to today? And there's all kinds of bad advice, all kinds of deception. You can just go to a bookstore and there's advice on New Age books and astrology and mind travel, witchcraft. Oh, you don't have to go to the bookstore now. Just turn on the TV or go to the movies. How many people are listening to the advice of werewolves? Come on now. And just saying, oh, well, that's so cute. That's so nice. Nothing wrong with that. Just a little entertainment. And witchcraft. Yeah, that's just kind of child stuff and play, and it's not really harmful, is it? Well, you better check out what the Bible says about those subjects. The Bible warns us to stay away from those things that will give you bad counsel. And the psalm, the first psalm, starts out saying, you're happy if you don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. By the way, we did not read the last three verses of that psalm, did we? But you know, in the last three verses, the word ungodly is mentioned three times. It's mentioned four times in this entire psalm. In Psalm 1, where it says, you're blessed, you're super happy, super joyful, if you don't listen to ungodly counsel. But then in verse 4, it says, after it talks about the blessedness of God's people, it says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And then in the next verse says, the ungodly will not stand in judgment. And in the next verse, they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. And it says, ungodly, ungodly, ungodly will fall, 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 will not stand, will not have anything to go on. In fact, here's what uh, the uh, fourth verse says about the ungodly. Let me, let, me, let me ask you to just give me your attention and, and, and see what this says. It says the ungodly are... That's, that's like the chaff that the wind drives away. In other words, it's just a puff. You say right now, they sure are making a lot of noise in the world. Yeah, I know. But in terms of eternity, ungodliness is... Puffing the wind like the chaff. The wind just drives it away. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. It has no credibility, no substance, no value. Ungodly. It's a wrong person, a morally wrong person, a bad person. And let me tell you, you listen to that, you're going the wrong road. Listen, listen to me, teenagers, young people. You've got some friends who say to you, you know, it's nothing wrong with a little bit of this, or it might be drugs, it might be pornography, it might be trying to go in the way of just saying some things or doing some things that shouldn't be done. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, the Bible says you will never get God's best in your life if you listen to ungodly advice. To whom are you listening? Obviously, we could talk about this for a long time because the voices in the world today are screaming loud at us a lot of things. The wise and discerning Christian is going to be careful who they listen to and who they don't listen to. The second part of this first verse, though, talks about the godly person's stance. His stance, the way he stands, where he stands. It says, nor stands in the path of sinners. Where do you stand? Well, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, so I try to just please... I I stand in a place where it just doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. Suppose Jesus had done that. 
you'd be lost on your way to hell today with no salvation if Jesus had taken that position. Oh, I just don't want to offend anybody. Jesus fully knew that to be holy and godly and to obey God sometimes means you stand in a place where others will be offended. Not that you're trying to offend them, but others will not like it. You stand in life where God wants you to stand. Nothing wrong with befriending lost men and women. In fact, we should be making those connections to win people to Christ. But we need to be careful that we don't stand where they stand. Abraham stood where sinners stood when he went down to Egypt and he lied about his wife and he lost his testimony. Lot listened more to the king of Sodom than he did the king of Salem and Lot lost his family and his testimony. Simon Peter warned himself, warmed himself at the fires of the world while Jesus was dying and they said, aren't you one of him? Oh, no, no, he said, not me, not me. He was wrong because of the stand that he took, warming himself at the fires of the world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive them. The Bible says the call of God on our life is not to try to be like everybody else. You're unique. Your stand should be that way. And the third part of this first verse tells us about our attitude nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Mockers, some of your translations will say. Scoffers, some other translations say. You don't sit where scoffers sit. I've known many a good, effective Christian who lost their testimony by sitting down and just getting in on the criticism and the scorn of scornful, critical people. Now listen to me. You're always going to find a Judas in the body of Christ. Jesus had a Judas, and Jesus had the the perfect knowledge of who everybody was. But even one of those twelve was a scornful, critical, mocking person at heart. And you're going to have them in every church. There's going to be somebody. You may look around and think, well, everybody here is just equally loving God. No, not necessarily. You're always going to have somebody who feels like they're above God, they're above the church, and that everything ought to be their way. There's always. I'm not talking just to Green Pines. I'm telling you, every church I've ever been in, it's like that. There's always somebody who thinks this church exists for me. And if the songs have to be my songs, the preaching needs to be my preaching, the paint needs to be my paint, the carpet needs to be my carpet, everything needs to be done my way, Because I'm superior to God. They don't say that, but they basically are implying I'm above God and I'm above everybody else. And, And they'll try to make friends. Scornful people always try to make friends. And they'll go to others and say, why don't you join me in my scorn? This verse is specifically warning us to not sit down with scornful people. If you want to be happy, don't loiter with the gossiping, scandalous slanders of the church. Proverbs warns in Proverbs 26, 27 that whoever digs a pit is going to fall in it. Those people that are digging a pit with their criticism and negative words, they're going to fall in it and you will too if you join them in there. Don't be critical of those who linger around the criticism of God's word. Some of you may mean well and students will go off to a college somewhere 
And all of a sudden, they will hear somebody say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Baptist too. However, I don't believe that Bible, and, and it's not this, and it's not that, and uh, Jonah never happened, and, uh, you know, the creation never happened, and this never happened. And you're sitting there saying, really? And you start just like a sponge sucking up those lies, just soaking it in. And you know what? You're losing your blessing. You're losing your joy by getting in on those who are critical and scornful and negative. I want you to notice something else about this first verse before we leave it. Watch the digression of the bodily movement that is described in this psalm. Watch it. Blessed is the man who walks not nor stands nor sits. You see how it gets worse? Oh, we're doing fine. We're just walking with the Lord and all of a sudden we stop and stand in the wrong place. Next thing you know, we'll be sitting down with the wrong people. The next thing you know, the joy's gone. The joy's gone. You've lost your witness. And in fact, when we've lost our witness, we have lost everything that the gospel is all about. Because the gospel, this message of the scripture from the beginning of the end, is about redemption, about not getting caught up in the tentacles of sin, but getting freed from them through the salvation that Jesus, the one and only Savior, provided through his death, burial, and resurrection. And when we get caught up in anything other than that, we lose our witness, and therefore we're no longer useful in God's kingdom. We're not a witness. We're not winning people to Christ. We don't have a witness because we've listened to the wrong people, we've stood in the wrong places, and we sat down actually got comfortable in the sin of life. A progression of wickedness there that you must be careful about. A progression that describes what we often call backsliding. Oh, that's just the beginning of verse 1. We don't have time to really tell you all about it. Let's move on to the next verse, though. The next verse talks about uh, the, the godly man's pleasure. Now, the first verse was talking about some things not to do, but this second verse says this is what the godly man does. First, look at his affection, the affection of the godly man or woman. The Bible says in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Ah, there's the positive side. It just says he just loves God's Word. He just loves the Scripture. He, he has a different counselor than the ungodly man. He, he has a different company than the sinful man. He has a different cause than the scornful man. He just loves God's Word. Do you love the Bible? I'm not asking you if you worship it. I'm asking you, do you love it? Is it food for your spiritual health? Are you dependent on Scripture to feed you? And it is the comfort in time of grief. It is the wisdom in time of counsel. It is the hope in time of failure. It is the light in time of walking the right pathway. It is the direction for your eternity. It is the application of how you live and breathe every day because you love God's Word. You know, there's something about this Bible. I was sitting down and uh, talking with a friend of mine who had just returned from uh, going into the former, former Soviet Union, one of the states of the former Soviet Union, where he was taking Bibles over. And he had done this before, and the people over there knew he was coming back. And when he got there, 
he opened up a box of Bibles, and there was a very uh, haggard-looking woman. She was not well-dressed, but just uh, rough-looking. And she had been standing there for a long time. And through an interpreter, he ended up finding out that this woman lived almost two days away by train. She heard he was coming. She had never heard, she had never owned a Bible in her life. And she traveled overnight by train, spent all that she had to get there, and just to pick up a copy of Scripture, and didn't even have enough money to stay anywhere, so she was going to wait till 6 a.m. the next morning to catch that train at the train station and take the two-day journey back. This time she had a copy of the Word of God. He said she looked at it, and she just wept that she was holding the scriptures in her hand, and she had never had that. She had, she had portions and pieces. She was a believer, but she had never held the copies of scripture of all the pages in her hand. Oh, if we just, if we just understood how important the scripture is to us. This woman had the right perspective. A couple of years ago, Pam and I, and my wife Pam, uh, she usually travels with me, but she really did have a rough night last night after her chemotherapy treatment on Friday. Um, so I, I'm sorry she apologized that she couldn't come, but Pam and I traveled the world together. We've been in a lot of places, and several years back, we went in northern Pakistan. That's the area where Osama bin Laden had been hiding out. In fact, the town where he was captured and killed in, uh, Abbottabad, we drove through there and stopped and had lunch with some friends there, some American friends. And we went on up north to uh, Karimabad and to Gilgit and several other towns, and we met a woman there who was an older woman who had memorized the Quran. She knew the Quran from memory, back and forth, front and back. And I thought, oh, my, if we just memorize the scripture the way the dedication of some others, this woman memorized the Quran. By the way, that's not the whole story. Let me do like Paul Harvey says and tell you the rest of the story. She gave her life to Jesus. And she was memorizing Scripture now. And because of her reputation, there, there is a title. It's, a, it's an Arabic title. It's actually the, the language of Urdu, which they speak there in northern Pakistan. And there's a title for a person who has memorized the Quran. It, it's almost like king or queen it's just a big you're you're somebody because of that title this woman was able to share the gospel with people that doors were closed for anybody else and a woman's not supposed to speak anyway in the public or to other people this woman went i saw her go to the imam of the community who's the sort of the priest of of islam and she pointed her finger in the imam's face and said sir you have not been telling us the truth about who Jesus is. I thought, this woman's going to get killed. And they said, oh, no, she's got the title. She had memorized the Quran and has influence. Now she's come to Christ. But I just thought, how much scripture do I know? Have you ever memorized? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not, not trying to put any guilt trips on anybody. I'm just saying, how many books of the Bible have you memorized? How many chapters of the Bible have you memorized? I've not memorized a book. I've got some whole chapters down. Uh, when I was in seminary uh, 40 years ago, believe it or not, I memorized Psalm 1 that, at that time. And I memorized several other chapters of Scripture 
when I was working, I had a secular job, and while I was working, I would go over Scripture and memorize, but I don't know anywhere near the volume of Scripture I should know. And, and I'm convicted that I don't love the Scripture as I ought. It should be my daily food where I begin the day, and I do begin the day, but absorb it, draw it in. The affection of the godly man's pleasure is the Scripture. Well, what about the second part of that uh, second verse? It talks about his attention. He said, in his law, he meditates day and night. His attention, his attention, his, his affection is the Scriptures, but his attention, he gives time to the Word of God. He gives time to that Scripture. Meditation, it says here, in his law, he meditates day and night. The word meditation is something farmers know about. Because if you raise cattle, you, you know cows chew their cud. Uh, they have two stomachs and they eat the, the grass and the hay twice. And, and that's so that it can be digested because the first time they eat it, it is not uh, suitable for digestion in the body. It's just there. But the second time when they chew the cud, which means meditation, same word used here for that, that's when the food is prepared for absorption into the body. Now, let me tell you something. It's that way with Scripture. A lot of times you'll hear that pastor's sermon. You'll go to a Bible study group or a Sunday school class, and you'll hear it. But let me tell you, if you don't meditate on it, it's probably going to be out the window and gone from your spirit and your life. Never really absorbed. Scripture must be applied. His attention is given to the Word of God day and night. Let me, let me just say this, something before I get into the last point. You know, I'm amazed at how powerful the Scripture is. Anybody here uh, a part of the Gideon ministry? Do we have any Gideons in your church? Do you know? Any Gideons? Um, some, of you ought to con- some of you men ought to consider that especially. I love the Gideon ministry. They're the ones who put those Bibles in the hotels and they give them, you don't realize, they give them to servicemen. Every serviceman in the United States, in a United States uniform, gets a copy. And they go to other countries and they give them out in schools. I came to Christ when a Gideon Bible was brought to my school when I was in uh, the fourth grade and it was handed to me and I was encouraged to memorize a verse of Scripture, John 3.16, and I memorized it. It was right here. A few months later, it moved a few inches to right here and became part of my life. Gideon's uh, doing the Scriptures like that. But I, I tell you, there's just something about the Bible. Everywhere I go, the Bible just gets attention. You say the Bible either turns people off or gets them excited. Let me tell you a little story real briefly here. I, I had to travel to New Orleans uh, to interview a staff person for our church. And I was going to get on a plane in Greensboro and fly to Atlanta and then to New Orleans. Everybody in the South knows you go through Atlanta for everything. And that's... We were going to go through Atlanta. I get on this plane in Greensboro, and the plane is filling up. It's early in the morning, and uh, I'm, I'm over at the window, and this plane, they came on and said, hey, this plane's going to be full. Everybody be sure and uh, recognize you don't have room to spread out. So, uh, you know, tighten up, breathe in. And uh, there was only one seat, it looked like, on the plane. It was empty. It was right next to me, to my right. There was an empty seat. And I thought, well, maybe this person's not going to show. And after all, I'll be honest with you. I wanted some peace and quiet. I'd had a busy day. 
It was Monday, and I had a busy Sunday, and I, I, early in the morning, I, I needed a few minutes of peace and quiet. So, God, don't let anybody sit here who's loud and obnoxious, you know, okay? You understand what I mean? <clears throat> Down the aisle, we're still sitting at the gate. Down the aisle, the airplane comes this guy, and he's like this. Hey, y'all, hey, hey, and he just, he's like, I'm here, everybody meet me, because I'm somebody. And he was just talking to everybody, and I said, Lord, don't let that guy sit here. Guess what? That's his seat. So he comes in, and um, just a loud guy. You know, and I didn't need a loud guy sitting next to me. He's just talking to everybody, and he turns, and he, and he says, hey, how you doing? I said, fine, fine. Buckles up his seatbelt, and, uh, and I'm sitting there. Now, you have to understand, this was about eight or ten years ago, and you'll know that because of the technology. Um, I have a cell phone, and I have a Palm Pilot. You see, the cell phone was a dumb phone, uh, not like the smart ones now. Now, they, they've got both of those things, and I've got them blended into one. You've got a BlackBerry, an iPhone, stuff. they're blended into one. But this was back in the ancient days when you had, a, the, you know, this, this thing here was not a phone. Uh, this was uh, a Palm Pilot. And so it had on there my contacts, and it had my calendar, and it had a few other things on there. And one of the things it had was a Bible software program. So I'm looking at my calendar on there, and this guy sits down. Hey, what you got there? I, I said, well, it's, it's a Palm Pilot. What do you got on it? Uh, well, I put my contacts and my calendar on there and a few other things. And he looked, and he saw the Bible. Is that a Bible? I said, yeah. He said, you can get a Bible on those things? I said, yeah. And the guy, you know, you're sitting this close. And and the guy right here next to me sort of backed his head back and said, Are you a preacher? Now, whoever, I don't know when the law was passed that the only people that can own a Bible program is a preacher. <laughs> How he figured that out, just I mean, just went from, Hey, what you got there? Is that a Bible program? You a preacher? But then his next question was this. He backed off a little bit and sort of stared at me a second. I didn't know what he was going to do. I don't know if he's going to scream at me, fuss at me, cuss me, or what. But the guy just looked at me a second, and then he said, let me ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, do you think God would put a guy like me on an airplane next to a guy like you for a reason? <laughs> the only thing that started that comment was the presence of a Bible on a software package right there. And I looked at him and I said, well, yes, I believe God's got a purpose and He has a reason for what He's doing. He said, good, I do too. Let's talk. This guy had sat down next to me, found out I'm a preacher, started in on Bible conversation. They had not even closed the door to the plane yet. That's what you call an aggressive guy. <clears throat> we flew to Atlanta and we talk, he talked. Uh, most, most of the way, but he did listen. And when we got off the plane in Atlanta, we both were changing and going to our destinations. He looked at me and he said, I'm going to call my wife. You see, he had told me that he was in the process of leaving his wife and he, she just wasn't doing everything he wanted done. And I could see how she might not like him, (laughs) you know, um, But he looked at me and he said, I'm going to go and call my wife right now and say, Honey, I was wrong. 
we're going to work on this marriage and we're going to put God in the center of it. And the Bible is going to be our guide. That was just after that conversation. You see, it was the Bible. It wasn't Alan. It wasn't like, you're Alan Bloom. That changes everything. You're a Baptist. That changes it. No. It was the Scripture. It changed the whole course of our conversation. Let me just quickly say to you that the third part of this great passage of Scripture, verse 3, talks about the godly man's prosperity. It says, here's, what, here's the way he's blessed. This is a blessing. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf won't, won't wilt and wither. And whatever he does, he's going to be blessed. Now, this is not talking about the gospel of the prosperity gospel of material things. It's talking about far more than that. Let, let me just say to you, there are seven unique things in that one verse that are the promise of blessing, but I'm only going to mention three. There's seven of them. See if you can find them all there. But I, I'm only going to mention three. That's all I plan to do today because of, I knew it would be uh, time running short. Three things. Number one, he is prominent. This person is prominent. He's like a tree. This tree is prominent. The, the, trees are not like a little tomato plant or a squash or cucumber vine. This tree, look at the picture in your mind. There's a, a, a river running by, rushing by with water, and there's this little knoll on the side of the river in the grassy area, but right there planted next to the river, a tree. It's prominent. The second thing you'll notice is it's permanent. This tree's not going anywhere. Again, not like a squash plant that's going to be up and down in one season or a tomato vine. This is permanent. He, the Bible says planted, having its roots deep. But third, it's productive. It brings forth fruit. Because of the source of water, of its prominence, of its permanence, it also has the roots into the nutrition that it needs, the source that it needs. And that's why this scripture is saying our source is the Word of God. And if you're planted in scripture, you're going to be like this tree. It's like a tree, the word like. This is what we're like. Like a permanent, prominent, productive, bearing fruit in season, out of season. Happy, blessed, joyful, super blessed. Because he or she is rooted in the Word of God.